play a seat. I might play a little dirty someday. Everybody. All right, we're going to move moving into uh, episode two here on the Grass Factor podcast. Hashtag one dream, hashtag one dream. So last week I talked a little bit about the idea and how uh, the concept behind us coming up with our own fertilizer company really was born. And, you know, this week I said we were going to talk about what it was like to find money, but, and we will, we will get there, but I want to talk about the preparation we had to put into uh, the project and put into becoming a company in order to actually look for fertilizer, right? How to look for fertilizer, how to look for money, because, because so much of looking for money is based around how well you prepare, so... I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. That was a lot of what we did starting out. Some of the other things we're going to be talking about are going to be the not-so-fun financials. And, and really, I'm going to have to speak for John Borden on this because he did, he really did all of the work. And, I mean, he did a significant amount of work, and it was non-stop over and over but if there was anything through the way we realized is that uh you never you never pass on the opportunity for a relationship because so much of what we learned starting out was because of the relationships in the random relationships All right, all right, all right. So we'll jump in here and uh, let's get started talking about part two because, you know, part two of of really any startup is really part one is coming up with all your financials, right? And then and then part two is is not just the financials, but taking all of that and converting it into, um, I guess, a pitch format would be would be most accurate. You know, learning to talk about it, learning the ins and outs of it, learning exactly what makes your product special and how to convey that to the people who have the money to be able to fund your project, right? So I just can't really specify enough how much time was put into the financials. And let me give you an example of what that looked like. Okay. So, it's one thing to understand how much it costs, right? So, how much does a piece of equipment cost to granulate material? How much does a piece of equipment cost to dry the granulated material? How much do your uh, cost of goods cost? Cogs, right? Anybody in business has heard of the term cogs? All, all of that is, is pretty fundamental stuff. But to take a spreadsheet and and really develop the the specifics of the project the nitty gritty nitty gritty stuff that nobody likes to do and I'll give you an example of that so we started with a model called the score model the s4 score uh, projection spreadsheet model and, you know, basically you feed it with a lot of information, right? So there's a starting point where 
you know, you plug in your prices for your real estate, your land, your buildings, uh, your uh, leasehold improvements, equipment, furniture, fixtures, vehicles, um, and, you know, pre-opening salaries and wages, uh, insurance premiums, inventory, legal and accounting fees, rent, deposit, utility deposit, supplies, advertising, promotions, licenses, other initial startup costs, working capital, uh, the owner's equity, outside investors, additional loans or debt, commercial loans, commercial mortgages, credit card debt, vehicle loans, other bank debt. And that will basically begin to, uh, if, 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 you, if you, you can take all of those individual pieces and have a good understanding of that, that's, that's page one. <laughs> that's, that's really about it. That's page one. Uh, then, you know, you move into page two, right? So, uh, you dive deeper into your into your payrolls, right? So, um, you know, what are your employees going to make? Full-time employees, part-time employees, independent contractors. How much does the owner get paid? And then move into sales, you know. So, um, how many different SKUs are you going to have? Uh, you know, your product lines. You know, how many units are that? What is the sale price per unit? And... Um, you know, break that out over a monthly period, right? So, you know, in the in the case of fertilizer in the green industry, you know, you're not going to sell as much in November and December as you are in uh, February through April. So it's it's best to chart that out, right? So taking it month by month over a 12, 12 month period and break out what exact uh, projection you have based on the product. And then extrapolate that out even further into uh, 24 months and then 36 months. How 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 much do you think you'll you can end up selling? Then you know part of it comes into you know disbursements or um, uh, you know the things that things that may have to be um, taken into consideration. So you know your your accounts receivables, right? So. Uh, managing cash flow in this regard where you know how what percentage of your transactions are you going to be paid within 30 days uh how many between 30 and 60 days and how many more than than 60 days um what do you anticipate that you're going to have to write off to bad debt uh, as much as we wish we didn't have to write off bad debt that's just kind of the reality of the situation is that you know unfortunately you have to be prepared to do that and then in the same vein, you have to think about your vendors, you know, where you're buying your material, how, you know, your, your disbursements, your accounts payable, you know, are, are you planning to pay those within 30 days? Are you going to have extended terms on some where you, you're paying between 30 and 60 days? Uh, how many of them are you paying, you know, greater than 60 days? And then, you know, take into account like, uh, you know, say you need a line of credit, right? Um, you know, how much of your cash balance do you want to consider as part of your line of credit? And uh, what is your line of credit interest rate going to be? Because ultimately you have to pay that back, right? So, um, you know, being able, this the nice thing about the SCORE S4 spreadsheet is that it will actually calculate for you. Um, as long as you have all this information, it will tell you, you know, how much cash you have to have on hand in order to meet your debts, right? So, 
then, you know, moving into more detailed of your operating expenses, you know, so this would be on a month, month by month uh, basis, you know, how much are you going to spend in utilities? How much are you going to spend in travel, meals, entertainment, supplies, repairs, and maintenance? Uh, more renting and leasing, you know, renting, renting vehicles or machineries or uh, equipment uh, or renting and leasing more business property, right? So say you need warehouse space, you know, renting that, legal and professional services that we kind of touched on in the beginning, any kind of licensing that needs to take place. Uh, contract laborers. These are people that would not be part of payroll. Maybe you're paying somebody to fabricate something for you. Uh, commissions and fees for salespeople, uh, cars or truck expenses, or you know, just even more advertising or, or marketing uh, budgeting. And not just chart it out on what you expect it to be on a month-to-month level, but extrapolate that out over a 36-month level and maybe do it, you know, just by by growth rate, right? So uh, you expect your marketing budget to increase 10% year over year, or do you expect it to increase 3% year over year? Then with with that, you, you can begin to put together what your cash flow is going to look like over a one-year or over a three-year period. Then you're going to have an income statement, right? And so this is going to tell you exactly how much income as far as gross uh, gross margins um, you're going to have. And then it will calculate all the way down from there into uh, taxes and your net P&L, right? And so it's important to not just know these a little bit or at least have this information. It's important to know this forward and backward and backward and forward. Because depending on who you're talking to, they're going to want different aspects of this. Um, you know, sometimes the first thing they ask to look for is, you know, what does your payroll sheet look like? Or they'll say, what do your sales forecasts look like? Or can, can I see three years of uh, projected cash flow? Or three years of a projected income statement? Or they may just want a balance sheet. You know, just just provide me a balance sheet. Let's see what that looks like. And a balance sheet is going to include, you know, over a three-year period, your current assets, your cash, your AR, uh, inventory, prepaid expenses, um, uh, fixed assets, you know, more more real estate, um, lease improvements. You know, like uh, if it's a building, you're you're building, and you know you're not going to recoup that cost by by um, Say you're leasing it and you have to make changes to the building. You may not be able to recoup that cost. And, you, you know, they they want to see that. And so having this at a really, really deep fundamental level will only prepare you so much more when you're walking into uh, a meeting with an investor. And, and I'll give you, it was told to us by some coaches who worked in uh, like angel investing funds or uh, even VCs that, you know, an idea is important. You know, it almost comes in thirds, right? You have you have the idea. Um, you know how how good is the idea, right? That gets a rating. Uh, how strong are the financials and upfront costs versus projections? And then the final part of that is, uh, you know, how quickly can it scale and become uh, uh, profitable? And and how big of a return on investment can these people get? It's the most important part of finding an investor is what is the return on investment. 
So for instance, you know, if you're, uh, if, if someone is looking to give you $50 million, we'll say in, in, in no way is carving earth a $50 million project at all. Uh, this is very much bootstrap, but if they give you $50 million and they own 40% of your company, how long will it take them to not only get $50 million back? How long will it take them to get $500 million back? And does hitting that $500 million return on investment mean they have to sell your company in order to get it, right? Uh, because that's so much of what this does. If you've ever seen Shark Tank, unfortunately I haven't, but I, I do you know, understand the premise there is that a lot of that, that they want ownership of the company and then grow it to a certain point and then sell it to recoup and get that 10x return on their investment, right? And, you know, you have to understand that how many startups end up failing? The overwhelming majority of them, 80%, 90%, something like that. That's a, I, I don't know the, the actual factual number, but it's going to be something ridiculous like that, that they just fail. And they fail for a, a variety of reasons. And so the other thing you have to look at, especially if you're going in to, to meet with investors, is... Understand how startups that have happened in your industry have failed. Get a really, really good idea on how those failed. So I will tell you about the first person we actually approached about, about money. And I'm not going to use his real name. Um, I'm going to call him uh, um, Steve Polk. <laughs> I don't know why that name, but I'm going to go with Steve Polk. This is not a real, a real person, but... You know, we, we, John knew this person and, uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of gave him an overview of the idea of what it is and sent him an email and said, Hey, I've CC'd Matt on this. Um, you know, uh, we, we like to schedule a call to talk about the fertilizer project. And I'll never forget the first one. The first reply said, um, okay, to make time for a call, but I will want to get you guys to give me some feedback first to make sure I'm understanding and able to discuss specifics of this segment of the fertilizer industry, right? So it was a series of questions. And I'm going to give you these series of questions that, that we were asked and we're continued to ask um, deeper and deeper uh, questions by uh, the potential investor because, because you have to remember, these people have to vet you. Right, they have people come to them all day, every day, and ask them for money because they're wealthy. And so they ask a series of questions to one understand: Do you have a basic understanding? Do you have a mid-level understanding? Do you have an advanced understanding, or do you have an out-of-this-world exceptional understanding of what it is you're doing? So this is how the line of questioning start, and this is um, in uh, it, it begins to, to happen, you know, really rapid fire where as fast as I can reply to an email uh, is as fast as I can get a reply uh, with another set of questions. And so the, the questions begin like this. What is your target market? How large is your market in terms of tonnage and geographically? Where is it located? Uh, number two, I understand that this product is either currently a commodity or will be is short order due to low barriers or entry. Is this correct? And if, why not? And if not, why not? I'm going to ask, ask that again because it's, it's, it, I had to read this probably 10, 15 times to wrap my brain around it. I understand that this product is either currently a commodity or will be, is short order due to low barriers to entry. Is this correct? And if not, why not? 
I still don't understand what that means. Uh, number three, what raw products are necessary to manufacture the product? Number four, how are raw materials shipped to manufacturing site? Five, how does the product get from manufacturing site to end user? Six, what is the nature of the workforce needed to manufacture the product? Seven, is there currently any competition for this product? And if so, what is it? Who makes it? And who distributes it? This can get us started. So, you know, that was all, that was all good stuff there, right? You know, so um, I, those are all questions we were prepared for. And I, I think we expected to hear that from them. Um, I don't think we were prepared for the next shit, uh, uh, set of, of questions as much. Um, just, just because it, I, I, it, it began to, to dive into to details that we probably weren't there yet. Right. Um, and so, you know, for instance, I explained about, uh, you know, geographically, you know, where, where it was and where the market was. And, uh, you know, and this was the, the question for me to dive further into it was, um, I need you to define what a lawn care company is, how many there are that have revenue of $2 million or less, and how much of this type of product each purchase annually, purchases annually. So that is a really difficult question to answer because um, it's not difficult to answer what a lawn care company is. Uh, it's hard to find the stat of how many lawn care companies there are that generate less than $2 million and how many, or how much of this type of product, this being a specialty fertilizer like we have, do each of these companies purchase? How do you find a legitimate, how do you find a legitimate answer to that without just taking a wild uh, a wild guess now the second question I could not uh, understand very well and so you know I answered it like this uh, I answered you know could you please clarify this question our product is not a commodity but does have potential for price flows float based on commodities particularly urea the other ingredients are driven more by oil than direct commodity futures. The barrier to entry is moderate due to the cost. And then he commented and said, this is what makes a product a commodity. If the product cannot be easy, easily copied, then why not? So when I read that answer, or I guess the, the follow-up more in-depth request for information there, you know, I began to feel, I began to realize the type of situation I was in. And I realized that I couldn't just be knowledgeable or have an understanding of the project. I had to have the most knowledge of the project and then learn how to convey that effectively to whoever we met with. Because here, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't understand even the most simple of questions about our product being a commodity. And... And I, I understood what it meant to be a commodity, but I was thinking in a very technical way, like, you know, what we manufacture, no, it's not a commodity, but uh, our, our raw inputs are commoditized. So I guess, you know, by if our inputs are commoditized, therefore our final product is commoditized. So, I, you know, that's where, that's where I got that wrong. And, you know, so then we moved in, you know, how, how was the, the, uh, 
product move from point A to point B. And I explained it could happen, uh, you know, probably via freight or by barge. Um, and then a follow-up question to that was, you know, is Calhoun on a river? Because, uh, you know, we were looking at Calhoun, Kentucky. Um, and truck or rail, how are the products packaged? So, you know, ha- however it's delivered, how is it packaged? Um, and with the material going to end users, you know, how is it packaged and what is the shelf life? And so nothing, you know, really out of the ordinary there. Um, and I, I provided the answers to those questions is the, the best I could. Um, and then the follow-up question to that was, you know, how I, I tried to answer that question about the number of, of companies that were beneath a certain size. And so I did a lot of research, a lot of research, I mean, hours and hours and hours to do that. And so I, I mathed it out based on uh, what information I could find. And uh, apparently I did that wrong because he, he replied with uh, uh Matt, I'm having trouble doing the math. You have targeted X number of companies with sales between X and Y. I'm also confused about why uh, a social media group matters. Um, and if these companies purchase uh, 20% of their sales as as a, a product, uh, plus selling to... to <laughs> basically... This just, it went south really fast. And I can't give away a lot of the specifics of this, so I'm trying to dance around. So it finally came out to this. You know, that means you need to convert all of these numbers to tons and have a meaningful estimate of your target market. The sales size differential of X number of companies is large. So how do you know how big your targeted market really is? The point is, you can screw up by not being able to deliver just as you can by not selling enough. So you'd better know who needs how much before you try to get them to purchase. How do you guys plan to manage this? <laughs> and, you, know, you talk about, I, I, I mean, this is a total foreshadowing, actually, of what actually, actually we ran into. And it was at this point that, um, uh, you know, John basically set up a, a, a voice meeting with us where, where we did, we had a phone call and through this phone call, it was a lot of the same thing where it was, it was a series of questions that would just go deeper and go deeper and go deeper and go deeper. And I can't explain just how beneficial this was because it wasn't just the conversation we had with this first investor. You know, we pitched to over a hundred people. And we pitched from everyone to ag technology companies to venture capitalists uh, inside, outside of the industry. Um, we pitched to Tyson Ventures. Uh, we pitched to uh, economic distressed areas of you know being able to offer this as a, a, a way to build jobs in the area. And it all went the same route. I mean, it was almost like an exact replica of questions that were asked. And so when we were really cutting close to the to the deadline, right? So we had a deadline that we wanted to be delivering material before spring of 2019. And, you know, this is 2018. So we knew we had to start construction at the latest October of 2018 in order to begin delivering spring of this year. 
at that point, you know, we we figured that based on the lead time of the equipment, the absolute latest that we could receive funding was in June of 2018. Uh, because basically, whenever you buy a piece of commercial equipment like this, you can't just go to the store and buy it. It's not an off-the-shelf item. So you go and you run a trial with the machine and your material and then based on the results of that trial, they will tell you how big of a piece of equipment you need to meet a certain throughput. Then you make your purchase or you put a down payment on that and they begin constructing it. Well, most of these products, you know, are going to take you know, 16, 12, 20 weeks to manufacture. Um, so that's a, that's a long time. You know, you're talking about five months from the time you run your trial until you actually get your product in hand. And uh, it's also very stressful, too. Very stressful. Because what if when they deliver it, it's not exactly what you wanted? But I digress. I'm kind of jumping off task there. Really, you know, I think, I think the, the, the big point of this here is, um, you know, knowing getting used to being grilled like that by that set of questions. You have to be mentally prepared because their whole goal, the whole goal of an investor is to basically find the flaws with your idea. And what sets you apart from everybody else out there that's looking for money? for whatever great idea they have. So the best way on immediate quizzing, I guess, or grilling, is to be prepared and have an answer. You, you have to. You have to be prepared. You have to have an answer. And then, you know, from there, the, the, the other things... Um, you know, they would ask for that, I, I guess, to, to start off, we we weren't really uh, prepared for because, you know, we were still in the infant stages was, you know, well, do you have a term sheet? And we're like, okay, what is, what's a, what's a term sheet? And, you know, a term sheet may be, um, you know, just something to specify, you, you know, who the company is, who the purchaser is, what exactly your offer is what they get for their money is, um, what the membership of the company means, um, you know, um, uh, you know how the funds are distributed when the company becomes profitable, the rights of the purchaser, information rights, voting rights. Um, can, what, what can they do with, you know, the quote-unquote stock of the company? You know, what can they convert it to? Um, what are the, the operating agreements? Does it expire? Uh, you know, what is the, the, the use of, uh, of proceeds? Are there any agents involved? Um, is there a min minimum offering size? All, all of these, these things that have to be stated. And then, you know, it was never really a business plan people were looking for. It was a lot of executive summaries, a lot of executive summaries. And those were all pretty basic stuff, you know, everything from uh, a timeline of beginning to end, um, uh, you know, like I'm just looking at it here, you know, opportunity, uh, problem, solution, market, competition, and why us? You know, super simple, 
uh, completely narrowed down there. And, uh, you know, we had, we had what we felt like uh, the most condensed, but, uh, um, complete package we possibly could about what our product is and why it is the best on the market. And then from there, it was a pitch deck, right? And so what a, what a pitch deck would be, would, uh, basically everything that's, that's in your executive summary is just turning it into a format that you can stand up in front of a group of people and pitch your product, right? So... You know, I look at I look at our our pitch deck here, and this is one I think that was uh, was actually going to um, um, Tyson. I think this is one we we put together for Tyson. And you know, the problem I love I love the problem right here. You know, poor fertilization programs operating on antiquated borrowed data from agriculture and plant maximum tolerances, or even over applications, over application of inputs leading to algal blooms, declining soil microbiology, and rising greenhouse gases. And the solution was, you know, our, um, at the time it was our, it was our X grain product, right? So, um, it was, it was going to be the only granular fertilizer on the market with a porous carbon, uh, biochar, uh, to deliver nutrients instead of relying on, uh, plastic coatings or polymer coatings or sulfur coatings. Um, and it was going to be the only available product on the market that would use, biochar is a delivery vehicle to enhance deficiency and also decrease waste, right? Because obviously if you're using uh, resin coatings and stuff, there's microplastics involved and, and we weren't. So, you know, lay all this out in a, in a pitch deck and, and then, and then show your product, show what it actually looks like, you know, where, where it's tangible and then have a, a sample with you that you can put in their hands. And then always the biggest part of what we did and this was by coaching to us is, um, was competition. Know your competition and know how you compete with your competition, either, either for better or for worse, but get all of that out on the front end. And, and so, you know, I look at who we compared our, our product with on the front end and, uh, and you know, who, who we had as um, who we had as a competitor, and and you know just put together a checkbox of um, you know nutrient delivery systems versus nutrients available, right? So uh, depending on which product we were carrying, uh, comparing it across, but you know the, the 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 columns were organic matter, biochar, humic kelp, uh, micro micronutrients, uh, organic nitrogen, additional iron, ammoniacal nitrogen. Those were those were our candidates, right? And so. Uh, we knew at least against all of our competitors, we could check all those boxes where they, they couldn't. They could check some, but not all of them. But we knew we could. So then the second part of that was, uh, you know, we talked a whole lot about how we plan to sell the product. And the, the, the thing was, was that, you know, we were asking for such a limited amount of money because we didn't, we were scared if we asked for too much, it would, it would become unpalatable. Um, and we were scared if we didn't ask for enough, we you know, we'd not have enough to, to get started. Right. And, and have enough of a runway to become profitable. So, you know, we, we kind of settled down on this number and we thought that was best. And, you know, when we talked to people and they said, really the size of your project is you're in that medium zone where it's, 
it's too large for any and everybody to get involved and it's too small for the bulk of major investors to want to want to get behind or look at right and um, and so we had to really oversell the return potential of this and uh, and so a lot of of what we did was you know you had to have a steadfast exit strategy because you know when we were if we would have uh, gone about securing funding in a traditional way you know the most important part would have been our exit strategy and so I had to have a big chunk of the pitch deck of talking nothing about the exit strategy. And, you know, it's kind of funny now because at the time, you know, we were thinking like, you know, is that, is that the exit strategy? Is that where we would walk away? Would we really walk away for that amount? But at the same time, we knew that that was the most appealing part to a potential investment. So we had to, we had to expand on it. We had to expel on it. We had to explore it. So not only did we have to know just the the ins and outs, the operational stuff, the the financials around it, the market competition, the movement of supply chain logistics, point A to point B, storage, warehousing, all that, but we also had to be really versed about when to walk away. And I think that was something else that was not particularly mm, that was not particularly exciting to think about, you know, because here you've got this baby and you bring it to fruition. And before the first shovel has even hit the ground to begin on the project, you have to uh, be extremely versed and prepared to walk away um, at a certain dollar amount. Okay, you know, we, have, we grew to this much, time to go. See ya. I think that was that was a really emotional, uh, hard to wrap our brain around um, development. I guess trying to develop that um, that idea that developing the exit strategy before you even before you even had an in- entry strategy was just it was hard to stomach. So you know, I hope I hope you were able to take away something from this and. And I, I just can't stress enough how important the numbers are. Because without the numbers, nobody will give you the time of day. So I'm going to stress again. If anybody's looking for a copy of this type of uh, financial spreadsheet for projections, um, I will include it in the show notes in the show description. So I highly recommend you at least download it, take a look at it, and see how in-depth it is because if you do have an idea that you're looking to bring to market uh, this is a great starting point this is going to be able to provide you with a lot of answers that people are looking for so next we are going to be talking about actual interactions i had with potential investors and what that part was like and detailing those conversations and really getting into the nitty gritty of it because there's so much when navigating investors where, you know, they have expectations of what they need to have as a minimum to enter your company and also the amount of control you're willing to give up for your dream to become a reality. So we'll be moving that into next week. I hope you enjoyed everything this week. Y'all take it easy. Couldn't take the heart. I knew
the day will come Be the chosen one yeah. I never had a safe place to hide I run through the end of the tunnel to find A train on a shining